Hello, welcome to 2021. Praise be to our Lord and Savior for keeping us and allowing us the privilege to be here. What a year 2020 was, but we are now in a new year with a renewed mind and strength. Although it may be a new year, guess what? Our God is the same Almighty God that we know. And I also believe that He has made everything beautiful in this time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. No one can imagine what He has done before the beginning of time and what He is yet to do even into the years coming on. Well, let's start off the year with some praise for our Lord and Savior and prepare our hearts to receive a word. Let us sing.
morning church and a happy happy 2021 we are so grateful to god that we are able to see this year for communion message this morning i'm going to be reading from matthew 26 verses 26 to 29 and it reads as follows now as they were eating jesus took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins i tell you i will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom in the lord's supper there are two emblems first there's the bread and then there's the cup that most of us know about. So the bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken and torn on the cross for our sins. And then the cup or the juice, on the other hand, it represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins once again. And this is more than just, you know, the bread and the juice that we partake of. It's a special time where we get to remember what what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross and also we do this in obedience as Jesus has commanded us to do so as we partake of communion today it's crucial for us to understand that the significance of the Lord's Supper is not in the emblems themselves but what they actually represent there was a debt that needed to be paid and Jesus did exactly that the emblems are just a symbol of an actual death that took place because of a debt that needed to be paid for you and I. So may we be reminded that Jesus is the true bread of life, which gives eternal life to everyone who eats of it. And as we are about to partake of communion, let us remember how lost we were. Let us remember how blind we were. Let us remember how messed up we were. But it's through Christ's broken body at the cross that we were found, that we can now see that the addictions, the bondages, and the shame that used to hold us down is now broken. Let me end with this verse from 1 Corinthians 11:26, And it reads as follows, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us partake of communion. One Corinthians fifteen verse fifty-eight. Paul says this. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything we do, the time and the effort we give to serve, the money we give, is for a reason. We are all here today for a purpose. When you give, you are not only being obedient to the word, but you are also helping us to reach the unreached, to love the unloved, and to give hope to the hopeless. You are playing a part in helping families and individuals to experience the amazing love of God. Recently in December, we received a message from a young gentleman and he had said that his mother had passed away. He had just informed us that he would be hiking all the way to Eastern Cape from here. And all he had asked was for us to keep him in our prayers. But it is through your faithful giving that we were able to assist him in getting to his destination safely. It is also through your faithfulness in giving that during the lockdown last year, during the hard times, we were able to assist 
uh, a few families. That is why we do what we do, because we are making a difference. And this year, we would like to continue doing the work of God and making a difference in people's lives. Thank you. If you have your Bibles with you, kindly turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We'll, we'll read uh, verse 25 and verse 26. And this is what you find. The verses are also going to be on the screen if you do not have your Bible with you. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him. This is Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This was very interesting, yeah, but we're going to get into it just now. And so before we go any further, let us just pray and commit uh, this time to, to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Father God. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word is food for our souls, Father God. And now we pray that you speak into our hearts. You pray, I pray that you speak into our individual situations by your Holy Spirit, that you speak your words, your words of life, your words that are going to help us, Father God, to be able to change and be transformed, to be more like you, Father God, because that is what we want. I pray that you speak to each and every person who is listening to this message. Pray that you speak into their individual situations. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name, so that your name may be glorified now and forevermore. Amen. So this passage of scripture, these, these verses starts with th uh, this phrase. Now great crowds accompanied him. And so I am a pastor, and as a pastor, I can assure you that this is a dream come true kind of moment. This is when you're at the top of the ladder kind of experience, when you have made it. And after this thing happens, after this moment happens, I can assure you, you will get so many invites to attend so many conferences and to teach other people how you made it. How did you get so many people to follow you? And this is the kind of situation that we find this, this verse and this command, I mean, these words that Jesus speaks. He speaks into this context. You know, many people were coming towards him. And there's a very interesting thing about Jesus. I'm not sure if you have noticed it, that he seems to have been a person who went out of his way to avoid the limelight, to avoid the spotlight, to avoid, you know, being the center of the attention. He seemed to be that kind of a person who went out of his way and he, on numerous occasions, told people explicitly not to tell anyone about who he was and what he had just did or what he had just done, miracles that he had performed explicitly. In fact, one of those examples is found in Matthew 9, verse 30. This is after he had healed Two men who were blind, two blind men. He heals them miraculously, supernaturally. And then we find these words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 30. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. Make sure that you don't tell anyone about this. I don't think that Jesus was performing some, some psychological uh, tricks on the people, uh, saying that he wants them not to tell anyone, but really, you know, causing them to go out and tell other people. I don't think he was doing anything like that. I think he meant it when he said, don't tell anyone about the thing that just happened. Don't tell anyone who I am. Don't go and publicize it. And this seems to be the kind of person that Jesus was. And I see one, one of the main differences that I find between Jesus as a leader and, my, and myself also being a leader is that Jesus was not insecure as a leader. I, on the other hand, I'm very insecure. I am human. But Jesus was not an insecure leader. He was absolutely secure in who he was and his mission, what God had called him to do. And that's the main thing he, he came here to do, is to finish his mission, is to finish the work that God had given him to do. He was absolutely secure in who he was, the identity and position that he had with God. And he certainly did not need numbers to make him feel good about himself. He did not need statistics to validate who he was, to validate that he is the Messiah, the one who came to save us from our sins. And I don't think Jesus measured his effectiveness by the number of followers he had, which begs the question, why do we do it? Why do we uh, validate our success and our effectiveness by the number of followers that we have, by the number of people that attend our 
our churches. If Jesus did not do that, which is a very interesting question indeed, you know, why do we get worked up when attendance seems to drop? Why do we get worked up when all of these things begin to happen? Because I can see in Jesus' ministry, he was not a person who was obsessed or bothered by these things. And I believe that uh, perhaps one of the reasons that we are so bothered by these things is because we, we have attached value, we have attached purpose, we have attached success to statistics in ministry and the numbers. You know, if things are going well, I feel more valuable. If, thing, if numbers are going up, if the graph that is plotted is going up, I feel, you know, that I'm being more successful, I'm, I'm being more effective in the ministry and the mission that God has called me to do. But we don't see any such thing, any such uh, ways in Jesus' ministry. And so that is a very interesting thing indeed. And I believe that Jesus measured his effectiveness by his obedience to the word of God. I believe one of the questions that were always at the front and center in Jesus' mind is, did I do what my father has asked me to do? And it's that, that is effectiveness, that is success, that is what Jesus came here to do. It's to be obedient, it's to do the work that God had given him to do. And the, the way that he measured that effectiveness and that success was, was I obedient? Did I do what my father has asked me to do? Not, you know, is church attendance growing? Are our followers, you know, uh, growing? Uh, did we, uh, since we fed 4,000 people last week, then you must definitely feed 5,500 people this week. It wasn't that. It was, did I do what my father has asked me to do? Now, before I go any further, you know, there might be a lot of questions in terms of what I'm saying. Am I saying that uh, numbers are not important? Am I saying that tracking attendance is not important, and that's exactly what I'm not saying. I'm not saying those things are not important. I believe that people coming into the building or wherever you are, you know, to hear the gospel message is very important. In fact, that is the mission of the church. That is the great commission to go out to spread the good news, to spread the gospel to people. But I believe that, in fact, you can have a church that is full of thousands of people and yet find it very difficult to find true followers of Jesus Christ. I believe that great numbers do not automatically translate to a great number of disciples. And many times it's actually quite the opposite. And I believe, you know, this is one of the reasons that Jesus Christ operated the way that he did. And so one of the things that I think Jesus understood as well is that, is that I believe he understood perhaps more than most the dynamics of fame and popularity. He created all things. He knows, you know, what fame and popularity does to us as human beings. He understood how easy it becomes when one becomes famous to begin to compromise on his beliefs and the things, you know, that he claims to believe, to soften the truth, to make things acceptable and palatable to people. That is just one of the things that fame does. And if we are not careful, we will fall into that trap. We will get to a place where we are doing things for the sake of numbers, for the sake of acceptance, for the sake of people liking us and following us. And that is one of the reasons, I believe, you know, that, that caused him uh, to actually do the things that he did and to make sure that he, he avoided the limelight, he avoided the spotlight, which is very opposite to how we do in our, in our you know, 21st century churches. We go for the limelight. We want to be the people that are known. We go for all the interviews when the opportunity arises. And so whenever crowds begin to, to, to gather around Jesus, he would say certain things, things that are difficult, things that would cause the people that are following him to begin to question their motives for following him. It would be things like, you know, why are you really here? Why are you really following me? If we were to drill down to the actual reason, what would we find? What would we find as the core reason that you are actually trying to follow? Why are you seeking after me? You know, are you seeking after me for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons? And so many instances they would say, I know the reasons that you are following me. The, the reasons that you are seeking me that you are seeking me for but are they the right reasons are they the true reasons are they the right reasons that you are supposed to follow me and those were some of the things that he would do you know he would he would cause his his followers to question their motives and i believe this is one of those instances and so it began by saying that great crowds were following him and then it says and he turned he turned to them and he said this he said if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot 
be my disciple. And, and I'm like, wait a minute. Did he just use the H word? You know, did Jesus just say hate? And I'm like, is Jesus wanting to start a cult? Do you know those things? Those, those things where followers of a particular individual get to a place where they believe so much in the individual that they cut all ties to their families, to everyone that knows them, because they believe that they, have, they are now part of this new and most important family, that all the other relationships that they have with their family members with their friend they are now irrelevant because they are now part of this sacred and very secret family that they are now a part of that is a cult and is jesus wanting to start one of those things and I, I don't believe that that is what jesus is doing in fact what jesus is saying here becomes much more clear and much more easier for us to understand when we read the parallel that is found in matthew chapter 10 verse 37 and 38 and it is the very same thing being being now written by different people that heard Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 10, it reads thus. It says, whenever, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So now it becomes clear what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying once you become a follower of Jesus or when you want to become a follower of Jesus, you need to hate your father and mother. You know, you need to, to hate the, your, your siblings and the people you grew up uh, with. You need to hate your children. He's not saying any of those things. In fact, while we are here, perhaps it's very important for us to understand. You know, when it comes to a Bible interpretation, there is one of the uh, golden rules when it comes to Bible interpretation, and it is this. It is that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so what does this mean? What is this talking about? What this means is that the Bible is its own interpreter, and how that works out is in this, that whenever you find a passage of Scripture that is difficult to understand, you must find another passage of Scripture that is clear, that is easier to understand, and that passage is going to help you and, shine and shed some light on this difficult-to-understand passage of Scripture. And someone put it this way. They said, Scripture is clear in its main teachings and doctrines. People don't need any special knowledge or training to understand sin, grace, forgiveness, and salvation. When it comes to the fundamental teachings of Scripture, the, the most important teachings, the Bible is clear. You do not even need another person who, who has this revelation to teach you those fundamental doctrines and beliefs uh, when it comes to the Bible. Those things are clear. Whenever you find those difficult, those tricky to understand passages of Scripture, go and find other passages of Scripture that are clear on those, on those matters, and those are the ones that are going to help you to be able to shed some light when it comes to what is being said in that difficult-to-understand passage of Scripture. So how does that link to this? So, so then what you do is that whenever you find a difficult-to-understand passage of Scripture, which is the one that we started with, if you do not hate your father and mother, if you do not hate your brother and sister, if you do not hate your children... That is difficult to understand. But what you should do is that you must put it alongside other passages of Scripture that talks about love, that talks about what a Christian is, that talks about how, who God is and what are the attributes of God. And one of the things that we know about God is that God is love. So those kind of things will help us to understand those difficult-to-understand passages of Scripture. So that is what we have just done. We have found another instance where the Scripture is much clearer, and that has helped us to shed some light on the difficult to understand passage of scripture. So maybe that might help. Maybe you have a family member who's, who's um, trapped in a cult or something of that nature. Maybe this might help them to be able to understand you don't really need an individual who, who, say, who claims that they have this revelation, that they are the only ones who can interpret scripture. The most important and fundamental teachings of scripture are clear for everyone to be able to, to read and understand for themselves. There are a few instances where it's a little bit tricky. But even those you can know by yourself by just applying these principles of Bible interpre interpretation. And so now we understand that what Jesus here is talking about is not hating those people. It's not hating your family members. It's not hating your friends and the people that you grew up with. What he is talking about here is that his followers are those people that love him more than all other things in their lives. That is what he's talking about. That is what is called, you know, um, a, 
a language of preference. He's not saying everything else doesn't matter. He's talking about order of priorities. He's talking about preference that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, as a child of God, what is a child of God? One of the things that a child of God is, he is a person who loves God more than anything else, who loves Jesus more than anything else, who loves Jesus more than money and fame, who loves Jesus more than their own biological family. They love Jesus more than anything else. But it doesn't mean that they don't love those things, but it means they put those, those loves in their proper perspective and in their proper place. They do not place them above the love for God. That is what Jesus is talking about here. And so you may be asking yourself at this particular moment, but what does it mean to actually love Jesus? You know, Jesus is not a human being that I can see. He's not a person that I can take them by the hand. You know, I cannot take a walk with Jesus the same way I would do with my spouse. So what does it actually mean to love Jesus? You know, what are you talking about when it comes to loving Jesus? It's very interesting that Google actually recently released, you know, a couple of weeks back. They released their year in search statistics for 2020. I'm not sure if you are a person who tracks these kind of things. You know, I... I I'm interested in them. I check them out. So they recently released their year in, st in search statistics for 2020. So what those are, they are just uh, the annual uh, statistical results that, that Google reveals, uh, which basically talk about search trends for that particular year. What were people searching for? You know, what are the trends that they can see when it comes to what people were searching for in that particular year? So then they publish these results, and, they, and, they, and then we can... Just read about them and get to know. Marketers are very interested in these kinds of things. But yeah, I'm also a little bit interested, interested in them. So basically, they released them uh, recently for the year that ended you know, um, in 2020. So they are here in search statistics. And so the, 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 here's the very interesting thing about Google as a company. Now, the first thing is that Google has um, or had uh, about 928 18, 92.18 percentage of the market share as of uh, July of 2019. So as of July of 2019, when it comes to uh, all searches that take place in the internet, more than 92% of them went through Google. And that is a big deal. That is massive. You know, in their particular industry, they hold, more, they held more than 92% market share. Second thing is that Google processes over 3.5% billion searches per day. And that's just a lot of searches. So those are the searches they perform each and every day. More than two point, more than 3.5 billion searches per day. So that's a lot. And so I'm thinking, you know, by myself, with over 3 billion searches per day, what are people actually searching for? You know, what, what is interesting to, to or what are people interested in that they are searching uh, through Google more than 3.5 billion times per day. And so there are three uh, categories that were interesting to me. The first one is the top trending searches. The second one is the top trending questions. And the third one is the top trending near me searches. So these are the three that I'm just going to take a moment to run through uh, uh, just now. And the following is, is only for South Africa. So you can search based on a country. So this is only for South Africa. South Africans, what were the top trending searches for South Africans in 2020? Number one, coronavirus. We are not, we're not surprised about that. People were searching for coronavirus. Secondly, U.S. elections update. Thirdly, Sasol share price. Thir number four, level three lockdown in South Africa. Number five, Children's Day. And then number six, Henta virus. Seven, load shedding. Number eight, cigarettes ban in South Africa. Number nine, Teacher's Day. Number 10, Leap Day. I don't know what Leap Day is. And so second category, top trending questions that people, South Africans, were searching for in 2020. Number one, how to apply for an unemployment grant. Again, not really too surprising uh, as people lost jobs during 2020. Number two, who won the election? Number three, what time is the president on tonight? Number four, what is coronavirus? Number five, what is 5G? Number six, where does vanilla flavoring come from? That's number six. Very interesting. Number seven, why were conflicts invented? Number eight, where to buy beer during lockdown? Number nine, where, why were chainsaws invented? And number ten, how to make hand sanitizer? 
And then the third category is top trending near me searches. So there's a feature called near me. So you can search for stuff that is near you based on your uh, geolocation. And so these were the top 10 trending near me searches in 2020. Number one, restaurant near me. Number two, grocery near me. Number three, builders near me. Number four, Midas near me. Number five, Virgin Active near me. Number six, hardware near me. Number seven is weird, a little bit weird to me, but nevertheless. Number seven, Mexican food delivery near me in South Africa. Number eight, massage spa uh, near me. And then number nine, game store near me. Number 10, hiking near me. So these are things that South Africans were interested in in 2020. And these, you know, are the things that were most interesting. These are the questions we wanted to find answers to in 2020. Mo many of them make absolute sense based on the things that were happening last year. But some of them are a little bit weird. You know, that a significant percentage of the population was really wondering where vanilla flavoring actually comes from. So that is a little bit interesting. Another percentage of the population wanted to find out where to buy beer during lockdown which is a little bit funny, but yeah, this was uh, interesting to a, nu a number of people in South Africa in 2020. So what this concludes for me is this, that if we ever thought of ourselves as South Africans, if we ever thought of ourselves as a Christian nation, I think we are not. I think we really aren't a Christian nation. If you look at the top trending searches for the entire population for an entire year, and if there isn't anything that is remotely linking to Christianity. I think we are not. I think it's safe to assume that we are not a Christian nation. And so this is the question I began to ask myself. Why should we be at the forefront of God's mind if God is not at the forefront of our minds? Why? Like, what, what is the reason, what is the valid reason that we should be uh, a priority to God if we don't seem to be, if God doesn't seem to be a priority to us. And we are so quick, at least I am, I'm so quick to ask, how could God allow something like COVID-19 to happen to us? But have we stopped ourselves to actually ask, why should God not allow something like COVID-19 to happen to us? Have we asked ourselves those questions? Because I think when we look at these results, obviously they might not be 100% accurate, you know, but the, uh, I think they give us something to think about, something to chew on. If we, uh, you know, um, don't seem to be that much preoccupied, that much interested in the things of God, why should God be that much interested in us? And so I wanted to just, uh, as we begin this year, to just ask ourselves, what are the things that are most important to us? What, what are the things that are primary to us as people, as individuals, as we go into this brand new year? What, what are our priorities? What is important? What matters to us? And if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. This, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought that pearl. And again, I've already covered this. Jesus was not interested in becoming a cult leader. He wasn't interested in starting a brand new cult. So I don't want anyone going after this service, this service to go and sell their houses and say, the pastor told me so. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something much more fundamental, much more deeper than that. Jesus here is talking about the value of being part of the kingdom of God. What is the value? According to you, what is the value of being part of the kingdom of God? How valuable is it to you to be part of the kingdom of God, to be a child of God? How valuable is salvation and reconciliation to you? And you can take all the sunsets. That's the thing that comes to mind as he's talking about this. Uh, that you can take all the sunsets. You can take everything that is good. All the top holiday destinations. You can take all the best cars. All the fame. All the fortune. All the, everything that is good here on earth. And if you combine all of that, it would still pale in comparison to the surpassing worth of being a part of the kingdom of God. And there's so many people that have tried to write songs about this, and they simply run out of words on trying to capture this value 
and this world. Language simply falls apart when trying to explain the inexplicable. You know, and one of the writers wrote this line, and, and listen to this line when trying to capture this thought. He says, the things of earth stand next to him, next to Jesus, like a candle to the sun. You know, what is the candle when it is standing next to the sun? The candle is nothing, is completely insignificant when it is standing next to the sun. And that's the same thing that he's talking about. When we look at all the things of this world, all the things of this earth, everything that is good, everything that shines, everything that is great, everything that people are longing for, you can take all of them and combine them. And if you put them next to the, the, the value of being part of the kingdom of God, those things pale in comparison. Those things are simply insignificant. It is, it is as if you were to take the, a candle and place it next to the sun. The candle, you wouldn't even be able, there would be no candle, to be honest, if you stand a, a candle next to the sun. And that is what, what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the value of being part of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that I want us to, to note here is that the response of the man and the merchant, they are the ones that determined whether they took hold of the treasure and the pearl or not. So their response is the one that determined whether they, they, they had the pearl or the treasure at the end of the day. And they are the ones that decided that the treasure and the pearl were worth enough for them to go away and joyfully sell everything they had in order to be part of God's kingdom. They could have said, Ah, it's too expensive, or it's too much work, or it's not worth it. They could have said that, and they would not have been a part of it. They would not have been able to have the treasure, to have the pearl of great worth. They could have said that. And so our response as well, when it comes to hearing the word of God, hearing the good news of the salvation that God has purchased for us, our response to it determines whether we'll be able to enter and be a part of God's kingdom or not. That salvation is not automatic for everyone. Each and every one of us has to make their own decision regarding whether they want to be a part of God's kingdom or not. Our response is the one that is going to determine. And you can be a person who just uh, responds and says it's too much work. Or you can be a person who's absolutely blown away in your joy. You go away, you sell everything you have, and then you purchase that pearl of great value of great price you know but we're not talking about physical money here and so as the year begins you know as we start 2021 this is the question that i want us to wrestle with this is the question i want us to actually get to the bottom of and actually answer do we do you do i love jesus above everything else do we actually do we really do we truly actually love Jesus above everything else? Do we put God first in our lives or not? And I believe you can ask yourself this question at the end of this seminar, even right now, ask yourself, because I believe this is a very important question for us to actually be able to wrestle with. And you may be asking yourself, how can, we, how can a person really know? How can you really know whether you really, truly love God above everything else? And I want to ask you this question. If you are a person who makes New Year resolutions, it is the beginning of the year. You know, we are fired up. We are excited about the year ahead. If you are a person who makes those kinds of things, I want to ask you, what is the top three? What are the top three New Year resolutions for this year that you have made a couple of days ago? What are they? Are they to lose some weight? Are they to improve on your finances? Are they to climb up the corporate ladder to improve your relationships, to stop a bad habit or an unhealthy habit? And let me, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong about any of those those, new year, those are good New Year resolutions. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong or anything bad about them. But what I am saying is that they cannot be the top concerns for a child of God. That is the reality of the matter. This is what Jesus is talking about. That when it comes to the order of our priorities, what is at the top? What is most important? It cannot be any of those things. These things cannot be the top trending searches in our year in search statistics if there was ever such. You know, these things cannot be at the top of, of our minds. They cannot be the things that consume most of our time as the children of God. Our lives are not supposed to be about these things only. And if we were be, to be able to look at your list of New Year resolution, what would we find? 
Would we find a person who is passionately in love with Jesus? Would we find a person who is concerned about the things of God, about the kingdom of God, about uh, you know, the work and the mission that God has for them? Or would we find something else? Would we find things that are similar and common to the people of the world, people that don't even go to church? This is the fundamental question. This is where the rubber meets the road. These are the questions that we need to wrestle with and to ask ourselves in earnest. You know, what are our top concerns on a typical day? Do they have anything to do with God or his kingdom? You know, are we concerned about, you know, unsaved people? Are we concerned about poor people? Are we concerned about homeless people? Are we concerned about sick people? People in prisons? People in hospitals? Are we concerned about people that are addicts? Are our priorities in alignment with those things, with the things that are, that are highest in priority to God. And so the other thing I want us to understand is that we are human. I understand it. It is incredibly easy for the things and the cares of this world to get into our hearts. It is easy. It happens to the best of us. And I believe that is why it is so incredibly important for us to, to regularly check our hearts, to do an assessment, to, to you know check inventory of our hearts, to see where our heart is. What are the things that are pulling our hearts? Our, our hearts being pulled more towards the things of the world or our hearts being pulled by the things of God. Are we being pulled towards God or away from God? It is very important for us to regularly do this assessment because it is so easy for us to be pulled away. It is so easy for the things of the world to get an, into our hearts, you know, and to get us to, to lose focus of what truly matters to us. And if you go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, the question was the answer to this question was could not have been more clearer for Paul the apostle i like how he answers this question you know when it comes to do we love jesus more than anything else above everything else in our lives paul answered that same question this way in philippians chapter 3 verse 7 to 9 he said i once thought these things were valuable so he's talking about the same things we are talking about he's talking about all the cares of this world he's talking about all the fame and riches he's talking about you know all the relationships relationships with all the important people here on earth. He says, I once thought of these things as, as valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can, I can gain Christ and become one with him. The answer to the question for Paul could not have been clearer. The things of this world do not even compare to, to, to the value and the worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There is no comparison. When we compare, these things look like rubbish. These things look like garbage when we compare them to the surpassing worth, to the infinite worth of knowing Jesus Christ, of being part of his kingdom. So he is a person who in his joy, who is like that person in his joy, who went away, sold everything that he had so that he could purchase that treasure, so that he could purchase that pearl of the highest value. And in, in conclusion, I want us to just uh, continue to ask ourselves these important questions. Let me ask you these, these uh, number of questions and let us see really where our hearts are so that we can begin 2020, you know, knowing where we are, knowing where we need to go, knowing if we need to make adjustments or not. So the first question is this, is there anything that you are simply not willing to give up and surrender to Jesus? Is there anything in your life that you are simply saying it's too valuable, it's too worth it, you know, has, has too much, it's too precious to me, that you are not willing to surrender, to lay it down, to give it up for the sake of, of, of being found in the, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, being found to be one with him. And it could be a car, you know, it could be a job, it could be sports, it could be money in your bank account. And if, if there is anything like that, that you are holding on to, that you are saying this thing is simply too precious, this thing is too valuable, I cannot give this thing up. Maybe Jesus would say this to you, that, that you are not worthy to follow me, that you are not worthy to be a follower 
of Jesus Christ, if there is anything, because he, he, he deserves to be the one treasure that is treasured above everything else. He deserves that much. You know, we cannot just come to him half-heartedly. We cannot, you know, just say uh, whatever we want. We cannot respond any way we want and still be able to be followers of Jesus Christ. He needs to be the best or nothing, you know. He needs to be the first or nothing. He needs to be our first and most primary love or, he, or we cannot be his disciples. We do, not have, we do not have the option of being in between, of being able to love the world and still also love him, or of being able to compromise on those things. He has not left us that option. And loving Jesus is that fundamental, is that important to Jesus. He says, if you do not love me above everything else here on earth, then you are not worthy to be my disciple. You cannot follow me. And, and it's very interesting, you know, as, as pastors, as preachers, we become so uh, insecure that we want everyone to accept Jesus regardless of, of how they respond to him, regardless of whether they are half-hearted or they don't even care. We want, because we, we are, we are uh, running after the numbers, Jesus was not playing that game. Think about the number of people that Jesus turned away when they wanted to follow him because he's not interested in numbers. He's interested in a heart of commitment. He's interested in a person who realizes that he is the treasure of, of highest value, that there's nothing that can compare to him, that it is either all in or you are not in at all. You know, that you sell everything that you have and that you go and you purchase and that you go and you, and you buy that field. It is that radical, the response that Jesus deserves from us. We cannot be half-hearted. And so if there is anyone who in your heart you know, who, who holds more of your heart than Jesus. If there is anyone that you love more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ, then he would say, you are not worthy to follow me, that you are not suitable to follow me. And this is the last statement I want you to understand and to hear, is that if Jesus is not the one treasure that far surpasses all other treasures in your life, then you are not suitable to follow Jesus Christ. It is that clear in the scriptures. It is that clear to Jesus that if he is not the best in your life, if he is not the first in your life, if you do not love him and value him and treasure him above everything else, then you are simply not worthy to follow him. And these are the, this is important. We cannot just leave it to chance. We cannot just say, you know, we will find out at the end. It is that important. We need to do this self-introspection right now as the year begins. We need to do this exercise. We need to look at our hearts. We need to be honest with ourselves because it is that important. And lastly, as I conclude, salvation is absolutely free. Don't, don't think that what I'm saying is we are buying salvation. You know, how much money do you have? How much did you give up in your life? Therefore, you deserve more salvation than someone else. That is not what I'm saying at all. Salvation is absolutely free. It is, it is a gift of grace from God that we need to accept by placing our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did everything. So what am I saying if that is not what I'm saying? This is what I'm saying. That you do not have to pay a cent to earn your salvation. But salvation will change and, re and redefine everything in your life. That salvation is the one decision that will cost you everything. After that moment when you decide that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, everything in your life changes. It's almost as if Jesus, you know, takes your life and he, and he places it upside down. But what he actually does is that he puts it the right side up. He actually fixes our life. You know, before meeting Jesus Christ, our life is actually upside down. We value things that we are not supposed to be valuing. And so what Jesus does when he comes into your life, when he comes into my life, is that he flips our life the right side up. He actually fixes our life to be the way they were supposed to be from the beginning. And when it comes to our hearts, when it comes to the things that we treasure, the things that we value, we were designed to love him more than anything else. We were designed to need him, to treasure him, to esteem him highly more than anything else 
here on earth. There's nothing that compares to the surpassing worth, to the surpassing greatness, to the value of being found to be in Christ Jesus, to be found, you know, to be part of God's kingdom. I hope that as we begin this year, we will be able to, to understand that and also to be able to, to, to see where we stand. Because I assume that there might be a person who might get to the end of this exercise and say, I think I'm actually not a follower of Jesus Christ because in my heart, I see my heart being pulled towards multiple directions by all the other things of this world. And there might be another person who says, I think I'm in. I think I'm still a follower of Christ because there's nothing else that matters to me in this world. There is no job. There is no salary. There is no holiday destination. There is no house. There is no fame. There is no fortune. There is no relationship. There is nothing that matters to me more than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that is what I am hoping we are going to begin with in 2021 to really be serious about the things of God, to really prioritize the Lord Jesus Christ and God's kingdom above everything else in our lives. Because God simply deserves that much. He does not deserve and he will not accept anything less than that. He demands and he deserves full devotion. He deserves all of me. He deserves my heart. He deserves my dreams. He deserves my hopes. He deserves the money I have, the resources I have. He deserves everything from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Everything that I have, that is what he deserves because of what he has done. He has laid his life down so that I may live. But nevertheless, so that when I live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for him who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is what the gospel is. And that is what God deserves from each and every one of us for us to love Jesus above all other things. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the greatest sacrifice, for the greatest gift that we could have ever received, that the whole of humanity could have ever received, the greatest gift, the single greatest act of love that creation has ever seen from the beginning of history right up until now, up until the end which was when you gave your son as a substitute for us sinners upon that cross. When you paid the debt that we owed you because of our sins and our rebellion. That, Father God, far surpasses everything else that we could ever receive here on earth. And I pray, Lord God, that you may make us those people that treasure you, that value you, that love you above everything else in our lives. Help us today to realize where we stand on this matter because heaven and hell hangs on the balance. Life and death hangs on the balance of this thing. It is that important. We pray that you help us, Father, to determine where we are. Help us, draw us to you, Father God. Help us to see just how valuable you are, just how priceless you are, just how precious you are and your kingdom is in our lives and help us to make that step in our joy to give up everything in our lives to be like that man it's almost as if we go away we sell everything we have so that we can be a part of your kingdom because it is that worth it it is that valuable we thank you lord god we honor you in jesus Christ's mighty name now and forevermore amen thank you for that message we trust that your hope and faith in the Lord has been renewed. As it says in Isaiah 40 verse 31, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's trust that the Lord will give us strength to journey through this year. Have a blessed week. We can't wait to see you again.